Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Sheehan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Sheehan Miller is the 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Sheehan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. All right. Hello. Welcome to Kuden. We're glad to have you with us today. I'm Eric White, joined by uh, Shidoshi Miller, and we've got plenty to discuss. Uh, some things rather just disgusting, maybe in my book, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I like I the tone of your voice. I was disgusted. I was disgusted the other morning by what I heard. But anyway, um, no, it's uh, some some exciting things I know happening. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, it's bittersweet. I'm bummed that I'm not there because fall camp's about to begin at the uh, at the dojo there in Central Pennsylvania. Yeah, well, you know, the uh, airplanes go in both directions, dude. Yeah, that's true. That's true. See, there it is. So I, I had. To <laughs> I claim personal responsibility for not being. <laughs> Maybe. But I'm still bummed Japan, about it. <laughs> my next trip to Japan, I'll uh, make a stopover in your area just so I can punch you once or twice. Sure. Uh, then we can have a beer or something. I don't know. But we'll go there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. So we do this thing every uh, every fall. We do a spring camp, a fall camp. Uh, people keep pushing for a summer thing. Um, I haven't done that yet. Uh, mm. Spring, fall, and then we have our New Year's thing, which is, you know, we call it that Komiosai, just like right. everybody else does to celebrate Hatsumi Sensei's birthday. But, I don't know if people have noticed or not, but uh, as the number of Shidoshi and Shihan have gone up over the years, or decades as the case may be, the number of people at each event uh, is smaller and smaller because they're all trying mm. to figure out which one they're going to go to, right? So right. Um, normally people do it right around the weekend that uh, is closest to Hatsune Sensei's birthday, December 3rd. Um, uh, but what we found is that uh, that's, you know, right in the middle of holiday season. It's right after Thanksgiving, right before Christmas. And so uh, we moved it, as you know, we moved it out into January. So uh, that way it can take advantage of my birthday as well. So we do this, we do it as a big New Year's kickoff so people can uh, focus on what their training should be like and what they should be focusing on. And I know lots of people do theme-based training and they, you know, grab the, the Bujinkan theme thing for the year. And we try to do that, but what I tend to do uh, when I go to Japan is I come back and do a Japan recap seminar uh, and make that the theme uh, things. It also helps me decompress and get a bunch of extra knowledge out while I still remember it and um, gives me a focus for my own stuff as well. But anyway, uh, yeah, so every camp we have a theme doesn't necessarily match the, I know it's blasphemy, but it doesn't necessarily match the, the uh, Bujinkan theme for the given year, but by this time in the year, Hatsune Sefei is added things, adjusted things, deviated or whatever, because, you know, he's so paid, he can do whatever he wants. So, anyway, um, 
Well, and I've always the, enjoyed uh, the dichomiosi kind of that, that you do uh, and where it falls kind of in January because it's a great lead-off into the new year, and you tend to always right. have that uh, that GOMA ceremony kind of at the end for students if they want to partake in that that goal-setting ceremony, which I think is huge and a great lead-off into the year. I do, and speaking of which, uh, uh, we, didn't, uh, we didn't do one for the last camp uh, because I have to replace my uh, my fire pit that we use. You know, that mm. uh, mm-hmm. mobile fireplace? Uh, yeah, someone stole it. They oh. had it out back to uh, let the uh, cinders cool down, and we were going to clean it up and everything. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, disappeared. Perhaps the Kogan ninja showed up and uh, and uh, stole it. But, yeah, so I'm I'm in the market for, uh, for another one. Uh, hopefully I can find one of the same type of design because it was also laid out uh, because the Goma comes from, that, uh, from our Mikio. Uh, training, and since I'm involved in that, uh, it was it worked really well for the formal GOMA uh, things. But anyway, uh, so yeah, so we have a theme and everything. So the, the theme for camp this year is Ninja no Goshin. Uh, Goshin uh, is, is, if you use the kanji that is intended here, right, uh, it means self-protection. Okay, like Goshin Jutsu, like every martial art has a Goshin Jutsu section, which is the self-protection side of things which often doesn't make sense to people uh, because if the kata and all that stuff is supposed to be the way we fight, then why the hell is our Goshin Jutsu section? Well, we tend to use that to look at, uh, like, we're, we're going to move from the dojo classical traditional kind of thing, and we're going to take a look at it from the perspective of, you know, different scenario-based kind of things. Like in the book that I think that they put out years ago, called mm-hmm. Hanbu Jutsu, Kesen Jutsu, Jute Jutsu, which is half staff, uh, iron war fan, and the Jute, the uh, iron truncheon uh, that most people see on, see as a sword catcher, but it was actually a uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but it was actually a, um, a symbol of uh, status for certain government or political officials. Okay? It was not originally designed as a weapon. It came to be used as a weapon, but it wasn't originally designed that way. And it was also used uh, by uh, police uh, investigators. They would often tip the very tip of the jute with silver. Uh, mm. And uh, that was an old, old-style, Japanese-style uh, uh, CSI kind of thing, right? Because uh, being killed in ancient Japan, you know, is usually going to be, uh, you're going to be stabbed or cut down with a sword or, you know, whatever, bludgeoned to death or whatever. So if they found a body that was dead and there was no uh, other discernible cause for death, what they could do is take one of these silver-tipped jute and swab it around inside the mouth, and the poisons of the day would actually cause the silver to turn black. Right? So, uh, yeah, cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. All the the stuff that's stuck in my head. Anyway, Hmm. so what we're really focusing on this weekend is making sure that skills are street ready. So we're going to be taking things uh, and looking at them from the perspective of, you know, what if this guy's, uh, you know, a boxer dude, right? If he's, you know, throwing uh, leads and, and uh, roundhouse punches or uppercuts. Um, and then uh, we're also going to be crossing that over into looking at uh, uh, gun scenarios where there's, a, you know, a, a 
handgun, firearm on you or whatever. Uh, we're doing some uh, Tanto Jutsu knife fighting, uh, both defense against where I'm armed and he's armed, and also from a Muto Dori perspective where he, he has the weapon and I don't. Um, <clears throat> what else are we doing? Oh, I'm looking at the, at the list here. So we're going to be looking at uh, the Ninja no Hachimon, which, as you know, is one of my favorite topics, these eight gates of uh, authentic ninja training that was a, uh, kind of the litmus test back in ancient Japan to determine who was and who was not uh, a practitioner of Ninjutsu, what schools were and were not teaching. So there were these minimum eight study areas. And we're going to be looking at adapting the Ninja no Hachimon to the 21st century. So what would that look like if it were developed today, right? Um, yeah. Because remember, it was developed around the technology and the, and the battlefield tactics and the weapons and all that of the day. So what would that look like uh, today, right? Of course, we're doing Nippo Taijutsu, or as a lot of people call it, Budo Taijutsu. Uh, and we're going to be uh, taking a look at Heiho, which Heiho just means uh, uh, strategy or battlefield methods. So it's tactics and strategy. Uh, we're going to be doing some multiple attacker defenses, and we're going to be doing some uh, some randori, or what a lot of people would call sparring. So it's going to be a full, full weekend. And then Saturday evening uh, after dinner for about an hour and a half, two hours, we're going to be doing some stealth training. So, um, yeah, it'll be good. So if anybody wants to get in last minute, there's still room. So we're, we're running tonight <laughs> after classes are typically done uh, from 8 to 10 with a little session for folks that can get in early. If they get in early enough, they can take the classes here at the dojo as well. And then uh, uh, we start for everybody else 9 a.m. tomorrow morning and go through the weekend. So it'll be good. Yeah, it's a good time. And we are uh, video recording. Yeah, we are video recording. Um, uh, we try to record everything, but glitches pop up, things you know happen or whatever. So I can't guarantee all of it, but uh, most of it will be available on video. Uh, we even let the camera run while people are practicing because they get. Uh, if you come to one of my seminars and it's being video recorded, you actually get the video recordings included with your uh, with your camp tuition. So. <clears throat> they get a chance to see what they look like when they're doing the when they're when they're uh, practicing, right? So they don't just take my word on you know their feet are in the wrong position or their timing or their angling or whatever's off. They can actually see it. I also let the camera run for the purpose of you know showing letting people see uh, good role model, bad role model kind of thing, right? Uh, so they can they can catch mistakes, and then when they're practicing, make sure you're not doing those things, right? Because they can catch somebody doing it right, and then, good, make note of that. Now, when you practice, make sure you're doing that thing. Uh, kind of, you know, instead of stripping all that out and just having uh, the learning part, uh, I, I, to me, it's all learning, right? Yeah. So, uh, anyway, so they're available. Uh, people can pre-order if they want. They can just uh, send me an email at this point or, or post something on the Kudin podcast page and I'll send them the PayPal link. Uh, we're uh, offering those out as digital downloads after camp is over, and um, uh, we get them cleaned up just a little bit and then get them up onto a download page, and then, uh, yeah, they get uh, they have lifetime access to them, just like having DVDs at home, except that it's safe on our secure Amazon server. So anyway, how about that? Yeah, camp. nice to be able to go back and kind of review those things because, you know, I know from my own experience when you're in it in the moment and, uh, you know, trying to take notes. Some people are better about it maybe than I am, but you try to scribble some things down. It can be, it can be difficult. It's great to have that piece to go back to and, and review. 
Yeah, and that, that's one of the, the big benefits. I mean, even for the, for the long distance students, and you know, they, they have a they have a video program, right? Uh, in addition to their weekly calls and Q and A sessions and, and uh, you know, email access to me and all that. But there are some of my local guys that train here at the at the dojo that actually uh, got themselves into the online program as well, so that they would have access to all those videos. So they don't have to rely on their memory at home when they're trying to practice. They can just bring up this this video and there it is right in front of them. Right? Yeah. So, uh, something I didn't have. I mean, uh, you know, I'm going to talk like an old man here, but <laughs> back in the uh, late '70s, early '80s, we didn't have uh, this video. I remember the, when the first videos came out. Uh, there's a two video set by that was put out by Hatsumisate. Uh, on uh, Togaku Review and just a generic uh, Bujinkan kind of thing. Uh, and then two came out uh, by Stephen Hayes, and they were like the first video training things we had in hmm. the art where other artists have had stuff out for, you know, a, a decade or more. And uh, here we were with these new things, and that was like, oh, my God, okay, so I can look at this, and I can, you know, I can, uh, at least practice you know, uh, to some extent, uh, and I know lots of people say, you know, dojo training is best and all that. And of course, you know, anytime you can get with your teacher, it's best. But if you live out in the middle of nowhere and you don't have access, something is better than nothing. And having video, right, is there. Uh, and again, that's why we have the weekly calls and monthly calls for some people in, in lower level programs. But uh, they can they can do Q and A's. They can ask. And if it, if I can't point to a video in the series for them to review, uh, you know, I'll get in front of a camera here at the dojo and make a specific little nugget kind of thing for that, that thing so they can see it much more clearly and get it back to them. Uh, we do video reviews and all that, but you know all that stuff. So, uh, but, uh, you know, having the videos are always, I, I wish I would have had those <laughs> because yeah, I look yeah. back at some of my old notes. Uh, now, with, with the level that I'm at, I can look back at my notes and go, okay, we must have been doing this, this, and this. But I have to remember also that a white belt or a low-level green belt or whatever, that was me then, was taking notes based on what, at that level, I thought I saw and understood. So mm, right. uh, yeah. often I have to look at that and go, mm, I'm going to get punched in the face if I do it that way. He had to have been doing something else. So I have to work through it again and go, okay, it's got to be this way because – uh, one, I'm not on the line. Two, my angling is terrible. And, you know, so uh, obviously I'm jotting down all this stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. But looking back at notes is not always, not always a great thing. Yeah. And for the, folks, for the folks that don't even take notes and just try to rely on their memory, well, you know, that uh, <laughs> defense attorneys shoot holes in those kind of things all the time because our memories are just so volatile. You know? Yeah. So... Well, and the great thing, uh, great thing too about camps, I always enjoyed was, uh, you know, I, I, I think you get so much more out of the time spent at a camp. It goes so much further because you, you get a, a deeper sense of immersion in what you're working on because of the long days, you know, for days in a row. I think that that really lends itself to uh, to getting more out of that training than you maybe typically would from your, you know, standard going to class on a Friday night kind of thing. Absolutely, I agree, and you know the. Uh, the, the, when people go to class, right, the, there's, it's not just that you're only there for an hour, hour and a half, whatever your class time is, but very often people don't know how to reset their heads or their hearts at the door, right, 
or when they bow in or whatever, right? They, they're just, they're not good at that. So there's this residual, uh, you know, psychological stuff going on, you know, trauma and memories from the day, whether it was good points, bad points or whatever, uh, you know, uh, the, the emotional uh, anchor still coming in with them. And so they're not really there. And then uh, even if they are, then, uh, you know, as class moves along, they're thinking about what they have to do right afterwards. So, you know, a good 10 to 25% of the end of class uh, is often distracted because, you know, they've got to, they know they've got to get changed. So they're not paying attention as much. But when they come to camp and know that they're going to be here for, uh, you know, what is it, 15 to 18 hours, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, we do. Let's go get food, right? But they know that they're going to be immersed in it. Then absolutely, you know, then uh, uh, they 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 don't have to worry about what's going to happen before, after, or whatever. They just have to worry about being here on time, or you know. And even even if they are running late, I, I've had guys that uh, one guy broke off a key in a lock uh, to his car, and you know that put a damper on him uh, being on time for things, or. And this is just over time, right, as people running late or having a family emergency. And the fact that they know that the, the, they were here, so they're going to get the video, right? So, the, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to miss anything uh, because the camera's going to catch it for them yeah. or as much as possible, right? So, yeah, it's all good. So, all good. you know, one of the things uh, – you know, I was talking earlier that, that I heard this week and I wanted to talk about has to do with instructors out there in the world. And, you know, people can come to this from many different aspects of where they're at in their training. Either they've done some or they've done none. And they, they right. stumble upon, you know, a teacher and they, they, they see what they're offering. And they think, oh, this looks cool or this looks like the truth or this looks like self-defense that I want to learn. I mean, there's so many different places people are when they when they first come across this. But um, in some sense, unless you're doing your homework ahead of time, uh, it can be kind of a gamble on what you're getting with maybe the the instructor you start working with. And I was, uh, I was listening to a nationally syndicated talk radio show on my way into work. I, I get up rather early. And so uh, the show is on early it's actually on overnight in many places across the entire country uh and oftentimes they talk about stuff like bigfoot hunting and um you know all kinds of uh out there discussions and you know in some level it's very entertaining uh but i, I so I, I like to tune into this and i'm listening to this and 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 it catches my ear they're talking about ninjutsu and i'm like wow okay never never heard this come across before and i hear there we are the we're, we're right there with, yeah, we're right there with Bigfoot, <laughs> and <laughs> right, 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 and so I hear that this guest who is you know kind of uh, he's the guest speaker caller and he's the uh, the expert on this discussion they're going to have uh, uh, about it and and what I'm hearing just uh, makes my jaw hit the floor. Uh, this this individuals out there and you know kind of likening uh all the ninja training that's out there is most of it's uh hocus pocus and fake and um you know he he's got his finger on kind of what the real real ninja true ninja were all about and um and and all the history you probably heard out there is is wrong and and 
uh, of course, you know, the, the host of this show has no idea. He's, he's the caller. He's the expert. He's the well, guy. It's kind of like when uh, Mythbusters did, did the thing with Ninja 2, right? And, uh, right. The, the persons they brought in, uh, while I know him, um, uh, part of his history was right, part of his history was not. But, you know, they, they were trying to uh, use those Mizugumi, the, uh, the water strider, water uh-huh. spider uh, little devices and things like that. And because the understanding, the basic premise of, of uh, what they were designed for was off, of course, the entire show then is off, right? Right. Uh, and then there was something else with an ultimate, was it Ultimate Warrior? These two fighters from different time periods? Would yeah, they tried to give them like a rating and how, how would like right, a, right. A, a, a medieval knight pair up against a, a ninja? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so the ninja experts that they brought in, one was a Taekwondo practitioner, and one, I don't know where he came from or what he was doing, but uh, just lousy, lousy technique, right? Mm. So, of course, you know, that's going to skew things. So uh, it is what it is. But, uh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Uh, What I'd like to do is keep this rather general because I don't need somebody to come back with, uh, you know, some defamation of character or whatever. Uh, uh, The person that, that you heard... Uh, has lots of books, right? And mm-hmm. they pretty well make their living on, you know, knowing the knowing the right thing. So whether they do or don't, uh, not my point, um, or not my my call, right? Um, I'm certainly not the uh, the super uh, history or historian uh, kind of person. I have uh, friends who do that. Uh, one is a teacher, uh, professor level in, in a university. In Japan, that you know, he has access to documents that that we wouldn't even see on the other side of a glass case in a in a museum. So, uh, you know, I, I have people to go to. But what I would say, and what you and I uh, discussed, uh, was what we were talking about maybe doing this topic for the show, is you know, we, we all need to be careful. I mean, we all need to to one uh, know why we're in the art because. You know, if you're in the art because it's the cool thing and anything ninja, right, catches your ear and, you know, it's it's got to be okay because, quote, unquote, there are many different types of ninjutsu, then, you know, you, you're going to get what you get, right? Mm-hmm. My focus was always on self-protection, and so I ran into this being approached uh, from a certain direction. Now, even Hatsumi-sensei, who has all of these scrolls and all these certifications and uh, or certificates and things like that and things he received from Takamatsu-sensei and all that, uh, at certain different times in training in Japan, right, a topic will come up and he'll be descri- discussing things based on his research, based on his understanding, based on uh, what he learned from Takamatsu-sensei, right? But then in the next breath, he'll say, you know, is this exactly the way it was back in the day? I don't know. I wasn't there, which is one of those honesty things that keeps me going back, right? Because, uh, you know, any any true master or leader or whatever that's coming from an authentic place will admit that they don't know when they truly don't know. They're not going to try to blow smoke up your butt, and they're not going to be trying to set themselves up as the only one who knows anything about the given topic. Right. So, uh, and as you alluded to in the beginning, uh, I have had friends that, uh, and still have friends that started out. Uh, one of my friends, uh, he's retired now, not from training, but he's retired from the work he did. He used to be a corrections officer. And, 
I met him, wow, I met him at a, at a ninja camp in Ohio. Wow, when did I meet him? Uh, hmm, maybe somewhere around 83, 84, something like that. Okay. And uh, training was over for the day, and we kind of bumped into each other, kind of meandering around this, where we were actually in a boys' camp kind of thing. So we were in cabins and everything. We're just out for a walk, and we bumped into each other. We just kind of struck up a conversation. And uh, here uh, he admitted that, you know, for nine years, for nine years, right, he was, he was looking for Nizizu, thought he found it, right, and was training with this guy. And... Uh, really things start to look kind of hokey, right, because he's seeing more and more of Hatsumi Sensei's things or the things put out by Stephen Hayes or whatever, and, uh, mm. you know, just way off. I mean, the, the body movement, everything is, is just different, right? So he starts questioning and, and looking into things, and finally this instructor has to admit that uh, he and a bunch of other instructors were afraid that their dojo were going to go under in the early 80s when Nijitsu went big here in the United mm. States. So what they did was they, you know, last week they were wearing Kung Fu outfits, so they were wearing uh, white karate gi. And so this week they decided they're going to switch it out, they're going to put on black gi, and they're going to hang a sign in the window saying that they're teaching authentic Japanese Nijitsu so that they can cash in on some of this thing. And ironically, some of these guys had actually taken a petition uh, to the U.S. Uh, to Congress. To Congress, there was a congressional subcommittee that was formed because uh, they uh, passed this petition that uh, painted us as spies and assassins and all that, and how we were going to undermine the U.S. government if this was allowed to remain legal. And mm. uh, Stephen Hayes actually had to uh, testify at this thing, right? And uh, so, you know, so this this friend, I mean, he was finally found, you know, what he was looking for. Because I think at the seminar we met at, uh, Manakashihan had come from Japan to uh, help teach at this uh, uh, at this uh, ninja festival that we were at, right? So, um, but for nine years, right? Uh, I had a student at one point. Uh, he's a former Marine uh, when I met him, and uh, he had still had this big notebook and everything, and. Uh, uh, I don't know how far back you've researched, but back in the mid to late 80s, probably in the mid 80s, there was this supposedly Korean ninja group that came out called the Salsa, right? Not Salsa, right? It's not <laughs> spicy and tasty, right? The Salsa, S-U-L-S-A, right? And oh. they were supposed to be the Korean ninja, okay? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so uh, uh, he was in the Marines and he was stationed in Hawaii and he met this instructor and the instructor's father son something like it was a father son team right and they were they were teaching this stuff they 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 were uh, they were getting articles published in magazines and and all this stuff right so he's like wow I can't I can't find the Japanese stuff anywhere so this is the next best thing and I'll do this until I find the other thing right yeah so he goes through the ranks gets his black belt becomes an instructor and everything. And he keeps asking about certain topics that they've been telling him. You know, when you get to a certain rank, we'll do that. When you get to a certain rank, we'll do that. Well, he finally gets to that rank, and he's like, hey, when are we going to do this thing? And they finally admitted that they made it all up, that they wanted to cash in on the uh, the ninja thing. And because they were doing a Korean style, uh, you know, they fabricated this entire story. So, uh, wow. Uh, 
I met him a couple of years later after he got married and moved back to the States and he moved, he was in my area and stuff and came in. And so I, you know, he checked me out pretty well because uh, of course he was going to be very cynical, right? Hmm. So, uh, healthy. I was taught from the very beginning by all my early teachers, uh, Shiroshi Malmstrom, Shiroshi Hayes, uh, Hatsumi Sensei, you know, a healthy level of doubt is not a bad thing. Right? You don't want to be, you don't want to have like an oppositional personality disorder, but you know, look into things, check, make sure that uh, it's it's uh, you know what it is that you think you're getting. And of course, if you're looking for it from a self protection perspective, then you know, no matter how authentic it is, you need to make sure that it's uh, it's giving you the solutions you need for dealing with the problems you have or may have. All right, so. Um, yeah. Hmm. Right. So there's just you know all these people out there. You know, there's people that have uh, there's somebody. I just saw a video um, sent this to me. One of my long distance guys who'll be here for fall camp uh, sent me this video of this guy teaching ninja levitation, <laughs> and he's doing a variation of a magic trick of levitating a person, levitating a woman or whatever, right down to the hula hoop that's used to pass over the person's body to show that they really are levitating. And all I can say is the guy has really strong abdominal muscles, and that was what impressed me the most because he's sitting in a lotus position, and all he's doing is lifting his knees and thighs off the ground, which looks like he's levitating, and then they pass this hula hoop around in a very specific way that doesn't give away the fact that his butt cheeks are still firmly planted on the ground, right? Mm. Uh, but people want to buy into this stuff, right? And this, this person has a he has a name that it, it would not be culturally acceptable. And, and if it did occur, uh, they would not be living in the the, the same country, uh, mm. either one of the root countries, right? Except this person looks very Western, very American, right? Mm. Um, but he has a he has a synthesized name that combines a Japanese name with a Korean name. Um, and since hmm. the Japanese and the Koreans don't like each other, Koreans specifically right. don't like the Japanese, and haven't since uh, the Japanese had taken over Korea way back in the day. Uh, as a matter of fact, Korea is named after the dynasty, the Koreo dynasty, that kicked the Japanese back out of the country. So, hmm. um, yeah, see, all this shit that's in my head. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> actually, I had to know that to pass a, a NCO test to get my sergeant rank. When I was in the military, oh, so right, yeah, and I was stationed in Korea. So anyway, uh, so yeah, so there's just there's just all this stuff out there, but we have to be careful that in our desire to have this thing, that we're not buying the farm, because what we can find is that we end up getting less of it than if we just didn't touch it at all. Right? Yeah. So. Well, my experience, too, is somebody who's leaning hard on trying to sell you the sizzle uh, is always always kind of raises my brow when they're dropping terms like uh, the ninja's black magic and all these yeah. things that, you know, sound so cool and fancy. And, you know, my experience with any of these more advanced lessons of things, uh, they're really rooted in some mundane level of some, you know, just kind of a truth that you didn't really realize or think about in that perspective or from that point of view. It's like, you know, so anytime you hear those terms, uh, you just go, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm already, I'm already not buying this. Well, and you know, the, 
from our Mikio training, I mean, we could say that the, the physical is manifested by the spiritual or the energy level, but it's still all physics, right? I mean, it's, whether it's mm-hmm. quantum physics or whatever, it's still, it's still the same thing. And all of my teachers, all the way up to Hatsumi Sensei, have all, have all said that anything spiritual or anything energy-wise or whatever is rooted, ultimately rooted in the physical because that's how we as human beings um, are going to interact with that. So we have to start with that. Uh, Hatsumi Sensei has said that, you know, if you want to, if you want to, uh, develop the Kuchi powers, right, then practice your Taijutsu more. And, mm-hmm. you know, that can often sound backwards, but if you understand, uh, that once you get past the form of how to do the moves and you really get into the balance things and all that, all that, uh, you know, the soft skills, right, of our, of our Taijutsu training and it becomes tactile, rather than, than uh, sight-based and it becomes uh, more intuitive and feel and, you know, that kind of thing, right? Um, that is all right-brain right um, uh, processing, right? And the Kuji powers come from that side of the head. So, uh, you know, if you want to be analytical and you want to be right and everything has to be step one, step two, step three, this is the only right way to do it, then you're hanging out in the left brain uh, where – you know, all of our academic stuff is, okay? But if you want this intuitive stuff and these, these higher, quote-unquote, powers, uh, in Sanskrit, they're called the siddhis, right, Which that naturally mm-hmm. develop as we do more and more work, and then you develop what, what some people would look at and say, oh, wow, that's like magic. Yeah, well, that's just because you don't know how it works. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, those things developed, develop as we proceed and progress through the training, but if we decide that we're just going to stop at level one because that's that's the easy stuff, right? It's easy to it's easy to know when you're doing it right or not doing it right or whatever because it's a, it's a set prescribed form, right? Um, that's easy. That's why a lot of people gravitate to form based martial arts, right? Um, hmm. So uh, you know it is what it is, right? But um, yeah, and, and you know, and, and the guy that you were originally talking about, like I said, he has books to sell. Right, so he's a position to maintain yeah. as an expert. So, you know, he he has a premise, and he's going to hold that premise. So, uh, you know, and I'll tell people the same thing. Hatsumi Sensei says, "I don't know. I wasn't there, but based on my experience, based on my uh, my training and information I have, based on my research, and remember, I'm an ex-cop and I'm an ex-investigator. All information is verified by two or three other pieces of information, uh, mm. or more." Uh, that's how you check evidence. You don't just take a piece of evidence and go, oh, okay, well, this must mean that, uh, yeah, no. Okay, So yeah. uh, it's evidence is always backed up. Uh, and I'm, I'm not doubting Thomas, but um, I have, you know, when I got involved in the training and, and all the way through, every time I go to Japan and I see things and I, I uh, watch lessons and whatnot, you know, I, I always ask myself, under what conditions would this be used? And if it's not making sense, I'll go ask the teacher. And if that question's not making sense, then, you know, I'll go ask somebody else, right? All right. Um, you know, we were doing this, and I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure I understand how this is going to work, or I don't know that I can't hit you again, right? Um, I don't know that I can't, right? Because you're right there, so you're going to have to show me how I couldn't just flatten out your face because when you got out of the way the first time, you were right there. Okay? So I haven't had to ask the 
Pop Sheehan and Hatsumi Sensei that because I'm always in a screwed position. Even if I think I could stretch out my arm to touch him, I'm going to compromise my stability in the process. So, uh, mm. yeah, that's not going to work. So, uh, anyway, but, you, you know, you know me and you know me for years. I'm not the blind follower, disciple kind of person. Um, but at the same time, I'm not the, uh, we're, let's just throw a bunch of stuff together and make something up because that's what it looks like. And so I'm not yeah. that guy either. Hmm. Right. You know, so here we are. How how do you perceive um Soke handling things like this? I mean, obviously he's in a in an interesting or unique position. Uh how how does how do you hear things coming out of Japan and the way this either gets dealt with or maybe just ignored? Like, well, that's that's for students to figure out. Well, based on discussions with him and other Shihan and hearing third party kind of things or whatever, uh and I'll I'll Give myself as an example, okay? Uh, so before I, I tell you about the, the, the other guy, right, I'll tell you about me, right? So for years, uh, I just did my own thing. I mean, I, I've, I took all my training and I did my thing, right, within the Bujinkan, but I really wasn't worried about pissing anybody off because mm-hmm. I figured, or uh, riling Hatsumi Sensei's feathers, because I was so far down the Bujinkan hierarchy that I was practically invisible. At least that was my perspective. Okay. Um, so, you know, as, as long as I wasn't uh, doing blasphemy, I wasn't breaking any of the rules, anything like that, I just figured I was, you know, who am I? You know, I, it had been years since I had been to Japan or had trained with him. And so, you know, it'd be another, know, whatever time before I went back. Well, I went back. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and that was after the separation with Shinoshi Hayes and, and that group because of major changes and, you know, whatever. So <clears throat> I went to Japan because I was told when the whole Hayes thing fell apart that uh, if I didn't do things the new way, I would have to establish my own connections in Japan. Uh, the, the implication there was since we had all depended on this Western structure, right, it would be very difficult, and a lot of us would just find it easier to just stay. Well, mm. don't tell me to do something, because <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll go do it. Uh, but I had already had connections with at least one uh, Shihan uh, in the in the interim, right? So it was a fairly easy connection to make. But anyway, uh, so I go to Japan, and uh, uh, I'd gone to Japan, I don't know, probably a time or two, and it was probably in the, I think it was in, it wasn't in the same year, but it was like a fall trip and then a spring trip, right? Mm. Uh, straddling a, a New Year's, right? And so I'm talking to this one guy that, that I, I met and I knew, uh, okay, right? He's just one of the translators. He's from the UK. And, uh, you know, uh, he didn't remember my name and I reintroduced myself. And, and, uh, because my name was really close to somebody else's name who a couple of Shihan mm. want to kick the shit out of, Mm. I made sure I said it's Miller, not this other thing. And he goes, oh, I know who you are. Hatsumi Sensei talks about you all the time. Says you're a stand-up guy. And and I don't know what to say. (laughs) Because (laughs) up until that moment, I thought, you know, I'm just going to have to reintroduce myself. I'm going to have to do all this stuff. And, you know, he talks about you all the time. Okay. So, Based on conversations with Soke, based on conversations with other Shihan and these other third kind of party 
uh, things that I get. Uh, while Hatsumi Sensei warns people to stay away from the internet uh, and to not get too caught up in those kind of things because it takes away from your training and you can easily fall for falsehoods and, and bad theories and, you know, get yourself sidetracked in arguments and crap that really doesn't matter when it comes to your training, right? Um, he would be pretty silly to not stay on top of what's going on. So, I believe, based on experience and prior experience, that um, he knows about this person, but he's mm -hmm. not bothered by this person. And mm -hmm. the other thing that tells me this is during classes in Japan, Hatsumi Sensei will reference things that popped up on the Internet last week. Or, uh, you know, he'll say, you know, the way mm -hmm. some people explain things, they explain it like this, but that's not the case. The, the scrolls point in this other direction kind of thing, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I think he probably knows because this guy has such a high profile um, or it's been brought to his attention and he, you know, took a look at it. But, you know, he's, he, he leaves most of that stuff alone. Um, he leaves people alone within the Bujinkan that are training incorrectly because his belief is, well, up until about two years ago, his belief was his, his job is to maintain the integrity of the traditions as Soke not to be a policeman and enforce rules or whatever. All right. uh, he has stated publicly that, and in some of his books as well, that, uh, you know, he believes that, uh, you know, somebody's a bad teacher and, and teaching the wrong way, and they surround themselves with students who are too blind or too uh, starstruck or whatever to, to check this person out, then those students deserve that teacher just as much as that teacher deserves those students. So um, it's, it's his way of keeping the art secret, even though it looks like he's opened the doors, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you make something secret when you've made it, you know, completely open or there's all this stuff about ninja this and ninja that all over the yeah. world? Um, how do you still maintain or how do you still keep ninja two secret, right? So, uh, yeah, that's my take on it. Well, this is a good point uh, here that if we've got uh, questions, we can certainly open it up for any kind of questions or oh, sure. comments. I almost forgot the... that other people were on the call. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not really. Uh, this would be a much a different on... call if people weren't listening in. Yeah, let me put it into interactive mode here. There's a guest on. It's just a whole bunch of zeros but no names, so I'm assuming that they're, uh, they're on oh, a web a call trick. or something like that. Yeah. Hello. Anyone? Let me check over on the question side here, on the webcast side. All right. Well, still nothing. Several people over there, but... Hello? Hello? There's somebody there, but they sound pretty muffled. I think so, yeah. And that's why we always suggest that they, they don't do web calls, because sometimes they work really, really well, and... Sometimes it depends on the bandwidth you have or uh, the Wi-Fi that you're using or whatever. It just just doesn't work so well, which is why I don't. Even though it would be free for me, I don't call in uh, on uh, on a web call because can you imagine if the technology uh, screwed up, the entire <laughs> recording would be worthless, right? So right. Yeah. yeah. 
So uh, let me see. If, can we enhance that at all? Of turning up the volume or anything will change anything. Hello? All right. Well, maybe they need to hang up and try to call back and again or whatever, and that'll get through. So um, yeah. let's continue on. I don't see any questions on the other side, and uh, we'll ask anybody that's having problems getting through, uh, maybe try hanging up and dialing it again. And, um, you know, you'll get the recording afterwards, so just hang up, dial in again, and see if that clears up the, uh, uh, the problem. I, I really enjoyed your, your share I saw uh, on Facebook about uh, rolling. Uh, you, you've got the video out there that people can get some more information on uh, some rolling and working on different rolling techniques. Uh, reminded me of, uh, of one thing I remember us doing. Uh, we went outside the dojo to a local park and worked mm -hmm. on rolling uphill. Man, was yeah, that Yeah, we said outdoor skills days. Yeah, that was uh, that was a really eye-opening lesson. Trying to roll up a hill, which which is doable, I I learned. But man, that's tough. I don't know. Was I able to do it? <laughs> no, I recall. Yeah, I recall seeing you do it as the example. <laughs> the hard part was then going. Uh, okay, <laughs> but it was a great. Uh, I mean, it wasn't a, a really steep hill, but it was uh, yeah, it was just... an incline, and it really was an eye opener on how the mechanics of rolling need to be right, and if they are, you can do this actually going up uh, up a slight hill. You know, it is... well, this is more than a slight hill that we were on, if I remember correctly. <laughs> but um, it was a good you little. Have to understand how, you have to understand how gravity affects the body. Uh, you have to understand that rolling is an exercise in balance control, not an exercise in agility. You will be more agile the better your balance is, right? Uh, yeah. Otherwise, it's just, you know, preset gymnastics kind of thing, right? But uh, where a gymnast is in control of everything that they do, they can, you know, they, they can stop it at kind of a, a basic tumble or whatever because they're being scored on how how pretty that roll is or how pretty that cartwheel is or whatever. Ours is all practical application, and we're not in control of the scenario leading up to the need for the roll, right? The bad guy is, right? If we need to roll or whatever, then... Um, it's either a last-minute escape kind of thing, and we don't want to look like a human being scurrying as the spotlight comes along, or, uh, you know, we don't know which direction he's going to throw us in until we actually leave his body. So uh, it's, 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 the premise is very different. Uh, as a matter of fact, I covered something from that video. I covered that for my morning, uh, my Friday morning coaching group, uh, my long-distance mm. students. Uh, I think it's pretty... Uh, fairly, that, that's a short video, but um, mm -hmm. uh, for something close to the beginning, uh, I, I laid out a little thing that I said, uh, you know, your ukemi and your taijutsu comes first. That's a first level training thing. And then you have your nippo taijutsu and then you have your mutodori. That's because the nippo taijutsu and the, the, the mutodori are all based on your ukemi working right and the things you learn in ukemi and, and your taijan, which is your body movement. Right, uh, it's all founded on that. And if those things fail, or you know, you end up, uh, let's say, you know, my somebody's coming at me with a knife, so I'm doing muto dori. It's coming at me with a knife. I shift out of the way, and I do something where uh, it should, I should capture him, take him to the ground, and pin him down. But what ends up happening is uh, I hit this thing, and um, you know, the knife goes flying, but he's not down and out, not only control of his body, and now we're in a fisticuff kind of thing, then mm. my 
on arm stuff needs to be pretty good, right? And then what happens if uh, I'm not all that in a bag of chips that he is and, uh, you know, he intends to wipe the floor with me, then my ukemi and my taihan better be the thing that saves the day. Otherwise, I'm screwed all the way around. And for yeah. a lot of folks, you know, because they've been convinced that we don't do ninjutsu and, uh, you know, Udo Taijutsu, you know, you just don't get taken to the ground kind of thing. Or uh, you only need some basic rolling and leaping and things like that. Um, you know, that they don't have that safety net in place. So, uh, uh, so I really expanded on what was involved in each of those levels uh, during this class, which is what people get uh, during these extra once a week or twice a week, depending on the level that they're in on um, Q&A and, and extra uh, lesson classes that we do uh, by teleconference or webinar or whatever uh, mm. when they're in my long-distance program. So they're not just getting a bunch of videos and I go, hey, I'll talk to you on Facebook, right, or whatever. Um, they, they can ask, you know, whatever they want or we can go into some of these things much more deeply. Uh, yeah. We're a big fan of bringing up a video or having them bring up a video, one of their videos and playing it from a, a start point to an end point for a technique and then say, okay, so do you understand all that? And usually the new guys will go, oh, yeah, yeah, it looks pretty cut and dry. Okay, great. Tell me what you see. Mm. And don't tell me that I stepped back with my right foot to avoid in this particular kamai. On the, I can see all that, okay? Tell me what I'm doing to control the bubble. Tell me what I'm doing to limit or eliminate his options while expanding my own. Tell me what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And then what I'll do is I'll go back through and go see the position of my hand right here, right? And how it's set to cover something, uh, you know, and how this angle, right, um, allows me to step in a correct, uh, you know, step by to, to be able to do this throw because if my lead foot's in, in a uh, wrong position, then either I won't be able to step past his leg to do the throw, I'll have to step around his leg, which compromises my balance, or if my foot's too far away from his leg, I'll be able to step by easily, but now my arms will be stretched out and off of my own center line, and now it'll be easy for him to break my balance and throw me instead. So, uh, you know, just those little things, right? And then they'll always say, Yes, it's not as cut and dry as it looks. So, um, mm. you know, but mm. but it, it fills in that thing that people that, that people know that they would be missing if they just did an online video-based program um, where they don't have interaction with the teacher. And while we don't have real-time interaction, this once-a-week thing allows us to get on. They can ask questions about techniques. We can bring the video up, and I can point out very specific things so they get feedback that way, and then uh, – at certain points in their training, they turn on the video camera or their phone or whatever and record themselves doing specific things, taking up kamai, delivering punches or strikes, or if they have a training partner, show me a couple of techniques. They send that, I review that, and then give them feedback that way. So they're still getting it. It's it's just not in real time. But again, in lieu of you know, in lieu of having an instructor in your area, if you don't have a qualified instructor or Having rank or an ID card or not, um, you know, doesn't mean that you have somebody quality or whatever. But um, if they don't have that, or they don't have access to somebody, or they live really far away from wherever the seminars are going on or whatever, um, and they they still want to do this art, then then sitting around and saying, well, I'm not going to do an online program because uh, training with an instructor is the best way to do it. 
and I'm going to wait until I can do that. Well, then you may be waiting for a long freaking time because, one, your story isn't making me pull up roots and move my family to your town, hoping that you'll still want to train when I get there. And, two, you know, if if your conditions really are that bad that you can't, you know, even travel for seminars or, you know, whatever, money-wise, time-wise, uh, overbearing spouse-wise, whatever, mm. right, then – uh, what choices do you have? And again, something is better than nothing at all. At least start with something. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, I didn't live in Dayton, Ohio when, you know, when I was first started training and there were only two, uh, three places in the world that you could train. Right? There was Stockton, California, there was Dayton, Ohio, and there was uh, Atlanta, Georgia. That was it. Okay. So, and I happened to live in, um, in West Germany. Okay. A little bird called Bootsbach north of Frankfurt, okay, and I was in the military. So there was no internet, there were no videos, there was nothing, so, right, so what I do? Hmm. I traveled once or twice a year, filled up a notebook full of notes, came home, and worked on what I could work on alone, and then if I did get somebody, then I taught them how to punch, and I taught them how to do these things, and then maybe I had a training partner for a couple of sessions where I could work on body to body. Otherwise I worked on body to body when I went to the seminars. So, but that didn't mean that I wasn't practicing every day, really making sure that the come eye, the rolling, the leaping and all that kind of stuff was so uh, wired into muscle memory that I couldn't get it wrong. Right. So there's always something that we can be doing. Is it the best of conditions? No, but if you're going to wait for best, you can be waiting till your deathbed. Mm. So, you know, there never is a perfect time. There never is a best time. There never is a ideal situation. Those people over there are, you know, somehow special where you're not or whatever. And all these things that we hear from people, uh, they're just not true. They're, they're only true if you decide that they're true for you. I've just never been that kind of person. So um, I didn't <laughs> – on a private salary in the military and having a family, a wife and two kids? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> so uh, I took out personal loans to go to a seminar and paid them off over the next year or the next six months until the next one. Took out another personal loan and went. Right? Wow. Um, I figured out a way yeah. to finance my training. Right? I figured out a way to, to find low, lower cost uh, transportation. I found, a, I found a way, which is the ideal or the, the central focal point for Nijitsu to begin with. The, the central principle in the Togakure view is to find the most natural way. In the Shinden Fu, or sorry, in the Shinden Fudo view, is to find the most natural way. In the Togakure view, it's to find the way. Mm. Right. So find a way. Right. And as one of my teachers was fond of saying way back in the day, right, if you have a problem or you have a condition that's not satisfactory, you have one of three choices. Right. You can change your attitude so that it is acceptable. You can get out of it so that you're not around it anymore, or you can do whatever you can to change it itself so that it's acceptable. But either way, none of those involves bitching about it, because when you complain about it, all you do is, is remind yourself and the universe that you're a victim. Right. And yeah. so, you know, that's not exactly a ninja mindset. So, uh, you know, it is what it is, right? And I know there'd be lots of people to jump on this and tell me how wrong I am because I just don't understand their condition and all that. And uh, see, uh, 
again, another teacher would always say, the more unique you think your situation is, the more average huh. you probably are, right? Because everybody thinks their situation is unique. So to think your situation is unique, that makes you just like everybody else. Hmm. So, yeah. anyway, <laughs> <laughs> be one of the like two that. percenters. Don't be one of the 98 percenters. Yeah, so anyway. Right. If we're going to be a ninja, we have to start with a dom uh, indomitable spirit and, and that never quit kind of uh, attitude before you even approach the art. Otherwise, sure. the, first, the first challenge is going to shut you down. And I promise, if you're freely training, and I don't just mean soft training all the time and feel good, mutual admiration society kind of training, mm. the training should challenge you. Okay? It should be harder than any fight you're ever in. So, anyway, uh, I think we're running out of time here. So Yeah, uh, I think we're, head, we're hitting we our limit. One more time. Yeah, so let's open it one more time for any questions or comments, uh, because I have a class that's starting uh, in 33 minutes. So uh, I have to make sure the door's open. As a matter of fact, I'm going to walk over since I'm on a Bluetooth headset. Let's see if any questions come in there. Don't see any on the online side. We must be impressing Tim every time because he doesn't post any questions. <laughs> he just, no, he maybe he just in. shows up so that we don't feel like we're alone. <laughs> I still hear somebody squeaking through in kind of a weird uh, electronic yeah. noise. But, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if it's uh, if their phone's working through the system here. All right. too far away from my phone. <clears throat> Sorry, I had to open the door and get the lights on for my, my people to come in. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, I think that, Excellent. that, that'll do it for, for another week. What do you think? I think so. People think, enough to uh, mull over I'm... or decide that they're going to unsubscribe from the mailing list or, you know, think bad <laughs> thoughts about me. <laughs> well, I'm don't forget Eric. For, uh... You think bad thoughts about him, too. It's no, 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 don't worry about me. <laughs> I am minuscule and unimportant. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure it's going to be another great uh, another great camp, and I look forward to next week. We'll, I'm sure we'll have lots of things to talk about that uh, kind of come out of that. So. Yeah. yeah you'll have to do it, at your own, uh, do it on your own if I die. Oh. No, 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 no. Nobody likes to hear about those kind of things, but we're all heading in the same direction. This is very true. All right. So, yeah, let's let's go ahead and wrap this up, I think. And uh, we'll talk to everybody again uh, next week. What do you think? Sounds good. Have a great camp. That's the plan. Thank you for listening to Kudat, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.